going to get started. So uh, thank you all for coming. I'm Mary Balkin, um, and here as Director of Faculty Development, <laughs> that hat today and this moment. Um, so um, uh, this session came out of a conversation um, with the provost, who, um, if you've seen the announcement, looking for someone who will um, coordinate a, a, this, a blog, a kind of weekly um, message after the faculty about this very idea about the advisor in all of us. Um, she suggested this session, she is a strong believer in this idea that um, advisement is not just when we sit down and give students like, their pens, that there's more to it, and that all of us can, can play a role in that. So, um, I uh, immediately thought of Robin and Tracy because I thought you have this bird's eye view of the faculty and of advising and just the kinds of things that can be useful and helpful for people, the kinds of things you've seen have success with students and so on. And also, um, see over there. Uh, and then um, I asked um, Robin for a suggestion uh, for a faculty member because you absolutely want to include a faculty member and she recommended Tom and when I reached out to Tom he was like I don't know why <laughs> he's being very modest because as we spoke I realized it was a good reason why but that's I think maybe one of the reasons also a good advisor so anyway so um, just going to um, have them share some of their ideas and control and we can I would say you're probably open to questions along the way too if things come up, and we'll certainly have discussion at the end. Um, but uh, yeah, let's just get started. Oh, so we've got Robin Cunningham. Um, maybe you guys should introduce yourselves since sure. I'm going to screw up titles. I'm Robin Cunningham, the Dean of Freshman Studies. Okay, that's easy. <laughs> I'm Tracy Gottlieb, the Vice President of Student Services. And I'm Tom Resnick. I'm the Chair of the History Department. I'm in my second year as that position. Okay, so I handed out what looks like an agenda, but uh, these are just the discussion points I thought Tracy, Tracy and I could cover. I don't. I had 25. Those are Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, hopefully we're clear in what we talk about. Um, but first, I also handed out these advisor newsletters. So please know that these are advisor newsletters that go out from the Division of Student Services uh, four times a year, twice a semester. So this one is actually, this is it, for this um, first one this semester. We always include important dates, upcoming dates. Um, we're proud of the initiative on diversity and inclusion that we just took 48 students away two weekends ago to be trained in facilitation practices. So that's our group picture. Some upcoming events, important dates for advisors are on the right when PIN numbers are released this Friday, new PIN numbers and registration dates, um, transfer retention. So this newsletter does come out from the division twice a semester. And I'd be happy to get more names to add to our email list. So if you'd like to be included on the transfer, on the uh, advisor newsletter, I'd be happy to do that. So OK, when we talk about advising, I have been advising here for a long time. And it's come down to me to these five points, most important five points. Um, as Mary said, there's a difference between giving out a PIN number and advising. Certainly, we don't suggest anybody just gives out a PIN number. Uh, there's also a difference between advising and helping students choose classes. So we like to think that you know, we all spend some time. Our, our standard amount of time is 20 minutes with a student. 
so that we can talk to them about what's going on in their life, what they're thinking, if they're going to change a major. But these are the five things. What are the, what's your major? What are your major requirements? So as an advisor, I need to know my students, what, what's their major? What are their requirements? Core, the college. We really appreciate this. Um, some faculty advisors are very keen on your department requirements, on your major requirements. But students also have to take the core. So it's important for faculty and all of us to know the students' core college requirements. We do get a lot of students coming back to freshman studies, sophomore year or later even, um, where they met with their advisor in their department and it's just a list of major courses. And faculty are quite honest in saying, I don't know the core. So it's important that you know the major, the core, and then electives. Most majors, not all anymore, but most do have electives also to help students get to the 120. So it's major, core, electives. Boom. Real quick. But now also we have GPA requirements. So we have an overall GPA requirement. So you would look at that. What's the student's overall? But if they're trying to get into the business school, if they're tracking business and they need a 267 to be signed into business, you also have to look at the requirements to get in. And then, of course, we have proficiencies. So a complete, holistic, I think, approach to meeting with a student right off the bat would be to cover these five topics. So you need to be um, aware of what your major requirements are, the core, the proficiencies, and where the students are with their credits. Um, in the last couple of years, Monica and Marisa Case in our um, in freshman studies, have worked very hard to create an advisor toolkit, a student toolkit, and a parent toolkit. And I think Tracy's going to take a few minutes to talk about those toolkits, which are a great resource to any advisor in any capacity. I notice in here there's no mention of all of career objectives or long-term objectives of a student. Um, is it just that there's not enough time to do that with all this other stuff? Or? No. If, when we get down to number four, where we say there's a difference between choosing classes and advising, and appreciative advising is the approach that we have embraced and we enjoy very much, of course we have to have those conversations. We have a lot of students who want to change their major. Uh, referrals to the Career Center happen all the time. Um, no, those, converse, those conversations absolutely do, do happen. They should happen. You know, Elizabeth, when I went on... It's not in this five points, I just... Yeah, when I'm meeting with uh, a student uh, for an advising session, the first thing I say to the student is, what's your plan? And sometimes the students will say, I don't have a plan. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. That dictates the conversation there. You know, um, you don't know what you're doing, then our goal is to help you figure out what you're doing, and so we'll work together to have that conversation. But if the student actually does have a plan, then, you know, they're, dri they're driving the bus in terms of that career aspirations kind of conversation. What Robin's pointing out is that, I, at least from my perspective, I think faculty do a pretty decent job of having those kind of conversations with students who are in their office for academic advisement. You know, what, what's your career plan? Here at Seton Hall, they do a less good, I think I've been gra grammar <laughs> here, 
They do a less good job. I looked over at our, our <laughs> they do a less good job really taking, taking responsibility for making sure that the students have all of these five bases covered. You know, um, I, I, this isn't meant to be a, a complaint sesh, session. And in fact, you know, I, when Tom walked in, I said, oh, let's round up the usual suspects. Um, you know, because, so, you know, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir in, in some circumstances. Um, but the reality is that if your student walks out the door after an advising session, not having these five, and I would add six because we say core college requirements, there's a university core as well that, that faculty have not taken responsibility for. You know, it happens on a regular basis that we have sophomores, juniors, and seniors in freshman studies getting guidance on the core, the university core, what a proficiency is, what it counts for, and the college core. That, that advisors and departments will take responsibility for that kind of career conversation and for um, their courses in their department. And I would just, from the faculty side of things, if, you're, if your faculty perspective is, you know, oh, that's too complicated for me to figure out, then how do we expect the students to figure it out? I mean, this does involve knowing the requirements for your major, but then for the students who may be in your major, but I have students who are in the College of Arts and Science, but I'm also advising students who are diplomacy and history majors, or uh, College of Education and history majors. And so it's not just learning kind of one core, but multiple cores and recognizing, at least, at least recognizing that there are differences between those cores and then being able to refer students to somebody who may be more knowledgeable about that particular college core. Yeah, but at the very least, you have a um, catalog. You can have the checklist for uh, students. You know, everybody has checklists. The College of uh, Stillman has a lovely booklet. A&S has something. You know, at the very least, the advisor can say, hey, let's go over this together and make sure that you've got your ducks in a row. But Mary Ellen Farrell, we should have invited Mary Ellen here too, because she has, she has ad nauseum stories about students showing up in their last semester, senior year, being told that a student is ready to graduate, and the advisor has signed off saying, yes, this student's ready to graduate, and the student's shy six credits because the advisor and the student never looked at the developmental math classes that were sitting there all along taking up six credits but not counting towards graduation. She, you know, those kinds of stories, she can, she can fill the whole session with that. So, you know, for me, I don't mean to go off, off script here, but for me, the big issue is faculty members in departments taking responsibility for the holistic advising that's necessary. You know, I, I've been here 30 years, and my first semester as an advisor, I, I was hired in the comp department, I was given four classes to teach, four different preps, 
and 100 students that I was told to advise. Those were the good old days. I was earning $24,000 for the privilege, you know? So those were the good old days. But I, I, I've been an advisor for, for this whole time. So I, I, you know, I speak from real experience about you know, what's the best way to get a student graduated. And I, we need to take responsibility for those, for those aspects of a student's experience. It's not, we're not, we're not Rutgers. We can't say a student has responsibility to do this himself or herself. I hear that all the time. But you know what? That's not, that's not Seton Hall. This has been a commitment from Seton Hall, truly from 1988 when I came. And in 1987, Freshman Studies was established as a retention tool for our students. So you, you can't say that. That's, that is a, that is a non-legitimate argument. We are committing to our students advising, and it, we need to do it well. So I, I. That's great, thank you. Sure, I mean, I have some prepared remarks that maybe hit this on kind of a slightly more philosophical level based on some of my experience. Um, you know, sort of in, in Mary's invitation, you know, I was sort of like, yeah, why me? And, you know, sort of like, I, I'm not an expert on advising. Um, but thinking about it, it's not just about having expertise in advising. Advising really is about mindfulness. It's being aware of the needs of students. Um, and by happy coincidence, um, whenever uh, sort of spring registration time rolls around, I happen to be teaching um, core two Christianity and culture in, in the fall semester. I usually teach in the fall semester. And when spring registration rolls around, we happen to be reading Dostoevsky's The Grand Inquisitor. Um, and it's actually a perfect parable for the occasion, and it's a great teaching opportunity. So if you're not familiar with the story, um, The Grand Inquisitor is a story, it's a tale that's told within Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. It's set in the time of the Spanish Inquisition and deals with the actions and attitudes of the Grand Inquisitor an old, hardened figure who sets it upon himself to, quote, correct Christ's great mistake. <coughs> In short, the Inquisitor sees humanity suffering from the burden of free will that God has given us. We are miserable because we are unable to handle the liberty. We may like freedom, but we know that we may make wrong decisions. And that can make us miserable. People don't want free will, the Grand Inquisitor argues. Rather, they want security and authority. By taking away their freedom, the Grand Inquisitor sees that it's his task to free people from their worries and to protect them from unhappiness. Um, so the story is really one about human nature and the challenge of free will. Do we want liberty? or security? Do we want choice or do we want certainty? Which is going to lead to our happiness? And in some ways, this is the perfect parallel for course registration time. You know, I find myself explaining the message of the Grand Inquisitor in light of what students are going through as they're trying to figure out their course for the following semester. 
Um, and this is particularly timely because I will have students in, in core two when they're moving from sort of sophomore year into junior year, just as that moment as they're moving from kind of the, all the core requirements of their first years into trying to figure out electives or choose a major in some instances. Mm -hmm. And so they are struggling with this exact phenomenon. Um, which would you prefer, I asked them, to select your own courses and schedules and sections or to simply have somebody tell you what you need to take and when you're going to take it? And this inevitably leads to a debate between the students who um, have very structured curricula you know, so some of the students who might be in nursing or um, other programs where everything is laid out for them from day one versus the students who are, have sort of flexible majors with lots of electives or lots of room to add minors. And inevitably, by the end of discussion, each side sees the grass greener for the mm -hmm. other group. You know, that some want the structure and like, oh, this would be easier if they were handed a schedule. Um, but that is a sort of a, a burden on them at the same time. So I'd like to suggest that part of um, what's required to cultivate the advisor in all of us is that we need to unleash our inner grand inquisitors. So let me be clear, I'm not trying to imply that we should all be jaded bitter, power-hungry authoritarians. Um, that certainly has its place. I mean, that's how I became department chair after all. Um, <laughs> but, you know, sort of that grand inquisitor approach can be counterproductive. But I think the important lesson here is that we need to recognize that our students are struggling with the issue of choice, both in terms of their individual courses, but also their majors and their life choices. And that can be paralyzing for them. And they're looking for guidance. So it's not necessarily about taking away all those choices from them, but helping to guide them through the problem of choice. Um, you know, and part of that goes to sort of reaffirming the choices that they've made, that they're looking, you know, they're, they're paralyzed by options and opportunities, desperately craving to know whether they've made the right decisions. So if we start off by recognizing that essential condition, we can help them move forward. And case in point, I was talking to my students in my Catholic history class uh, last week as I was preparing some of these comments and said like, okay, what are some of the things that have gone well for advising for you? What are some things you wish you knew? And one student um, told me he's a senior, and for the first time, he has electives. And he didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> you know, because he's been in a program where everything has been sort of laid out from day one, and maybe has a choice between the, the 9.30 section and the 11 o'clock section, and that's really it for him. Um, you know, so here, this, he found himself in a new phenomenon. And you know, he's not one of my advisees, he's not a history major, but it led to you know, opportunity to talk about, well, have you thought about you know, what courses have you taken? Do you have room for a minor? Um, or is there just a topic that you wish that you could have explored during your time at Seton Hall? Here's your chance in your senior year that you could do it. So it made, that kind of conversation made me realize that I may not be the grand inquisitor, but I needed to be an inquisitor of another sort, that I needed to sort of pepper that student with lots of questions 
in order to try and figure out where that student's interests were leading him. Um, and so this kind of then goes beyond just the formal academic advisors that um, will go through the checklist with the student, but really kind of cultivating that advisor in all of us, that every single faculty member becomes an informal advisor for students simply by getting to know them and by asking them those questions. And you know, it, you can't sort of take up all your class time doing this, but it's about that conversation that you have with the student after class. It's about having a conversation when the student comes to you to office hours for something completely unrelated to advising issues. Um, but being able to, uh, when they come to you about that research project or, or, or to review a paper, that you can then sort of leverage that opportunity to then talk to them about all this sort of stuff. And to be honest, that's actually how I got to graduate school. I had an undergraduate advisor, or sort of not advisor, professor. He was not my academic advisor. Um, he later became my senior thesis advisor, but he was sort of just a professor I had. We were talking, and he was like, oh, what do you want to do after, after you graduate? And I said I wasn't sure, and he asked me about all the research projects I had done. And by that point, I was a history major, and I had done research on Jesuit missionaries in Japan, and I had done research on um, a Catholic uh, school teacher strike, and I had done research on um, sort of um, other Catholic history topics. And he said, like, hmm, I sort of notice a pattern <laughs> emerging here. He conveniently ignored the research paper I did on the Parisian sewer system, um, which could have taken my career in a completely different trajectory. Um, but kind of he discerned that and said, here, start looking, if you're interested in graduate school, start looking at these programs. Here are the ones, find out which ones have programs that specialize in American Catholic history. And lo and behold, that kind of got me to think about, you know, sort of graduate school and, and those sorts of options. And then once sort of graduate school entered my horizon, then we were able to have a conversation about what graduate school entailed and not simply the application process. You know, so it was all of that that just sort of started with these informal conversations. So, I mean, I have some other kind of bullet point things to talk about is like how to, you know, from the, from the chair's perspective. But for now, I'll just sort of leave it there that kind of this grand inquisitor situation for me is part of what students are struggling with. It's that issue of choice and how do you help them with the freedom, with the responsibility of choosing their own schedule and how can you have the conversations with them where you can kind of direct them in particular ways and to some extent leave them with kind of a structured freedom to say, okay, here are the options. You can do this, 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 and this. Um, and I would also say for the advisors in the room, it's important to know your own requirements, it's important to know the college requirements, but it's also really helpful if you thumb through a catalog to know all of the different minors and interdisciplinary programs that we have. So when students have kind of some extra credits, some extra slots to fill, you can say, oh, did you know that we have um, a minor in this? Um, and to look through before spring registration, or you know, before registration starts, look through the course offerings that different departments will put out to get a sense of all their different electives so that when you student when student comes it's like hey i'm really interested in this issue or you happen to know that they come up to a theme did you know that there's a course on kind of 
peace building in you know the school of diplomacy, and that doesn't have any prerequisites. So maybe the thing about taking that, um, or I know that you're really interested in kind of uh, the Me Too moment. So let's see what women's studies has this semester, so that we can get a course that will allow you to thrive um, and get some of your um, your kind of non-major interests addressed. Can, can I just dovetail no. what Tom just said? Because, you know, he talked about uh, a professor inspiring him, mm -hmm. uh, you know, along the path. And, and I, that's, that's the, the best that we can be, you know, an inspiration. I mean, you know, I think there's enough seasoned professors sitting around the table who have had the experience of students coming back and saying, you know, you've changed my life and, you know, quoting me. And it's sort of, it's, it's humbling to have that happen. But to me, sometimes it's disheartening too. You know, we do a survey every year of our advisors and inevitably we say to the advisors, how often do you speak to uh, students about study abroad? And it's fewer than half of our advisors talk about study abroad. Fewer than half of our advisors discuss internships with students. And you know what, those are two areas where, where lives are changed. You know, I, the, the most formative experience in my life was living in Europe. It changed my life completely. And that I talk to students about because I think that that experience is life altering in a positive way. And I, I speak to students about the power of internships you know, Tom's talking about the power of graduate school. I, I, I didn't have that inspiration, you know. It, it was what it was. But, but I did have that inspiration from my internship as a senior here at Seton Hall. Um, and it gave me a career path that I had not considered before. Um, and, and so, I, you know, I speak from the heart with my students about those two experiences because I think they mean so much. But it's disheartening to me when I think that advisors not only don't address that in an advising session, but when we ask, would you like to have information about it, they say no. <laughs> you know, um, I, I do think that, that if, if one thing, and I, and I feel like I'm pre preaching to the choir here, but if the one thing people could take away from this is that being an advisor is intrinsically part of what we are meant to do. It's not the throwaway, you know. Um, I think people treat it as if, well, it's, it's one of these things like service to, you know, the bylaws committee um, that we have to do when in fact it's really the moment that we have the most influence. When we're droning on about journalism history in the classroom, we don't have as much as much influence on our students as when we're sitting with them one-on-one -on -one, talking about their lives and our lives. You know, you have to open yourself up too. You have to share your experiences. If you're really going to be good at this, you've got to put yourself out there too and say, you know, this is what changed my life. Um, and so I, I just wanted to, to jump in there and, and, and point that out because I think that that those kinds of conversations are also really important. 
Robin, is this, so you have the phrase appreciative advising. Is this part of this, what, 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 what um, you know, what Tom and what Tracy are describing? It I is, mean, actually. I mean, yeah, yeah expand on that term, because I, I've heard it, but I don't think, I don't know how many others have, and I don't know, but I, I really understand it. I, I think we actually had Jenny Bloom here did, uh, several okay. years ago, University of South Carolina, is mm -hmm. that right? Yeah, She's years ago. She's not there anymore, but... But yeah, she's moved on. But this was her this was her idea of the best type of approach, which Tom gave a great example. I mean, it would be wonderful if all of our advisors took that kind of time to have those conversations with students. It's not just about choosing classes. It's not just about getting the PIN number. But this idea of appreciating the student as a holistic being. So what is their plan? What is their background? What is their family background like? Why are you majoring? in this uh, major, and that's something that comes up all the time about the anxiety that students have around their parents and being perhaps forced into a major that they don't really love and then they get grades back. And appreciative advising would be if a student took five classes and got three A's, a C, and an F, when you meet with that student, which is the class that you talk about first? And you appreciative advising would say you talk about the better grades first. So let's talk about how well you're doing. This is built out of appreciative inquiry. I'm guessing. I don't think I was here when this happened, but it sounds like that literature. I mean, yeah. It sounds yeah. Right. yeah. So let, let's pay attention to what went well first. Let's talk about your better grades. And then you get down to the C and the F and what happened there. Um, we had a student last year, one of our first generation students, who came here last fall, chemistry. Wanted to be chemistry major. It's what I want. It's what my family wants. I'm going to have a job. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. Did terribly. Changed her major to creative writing, got a 4.0 in the spring. She's happy. You know, my entire career counseling is very limited. It's four words. Do what you love. So my conversation with students about their major and about their career plan, and I tell them, I said, I'm very limited with my career understanding. That's why I'm going to send you to the Career Center. But what is it that you're passionate about? This is also appreciative advising. Disarm, don't settle, discover, dream. Um, what is it that you're good at? You know, why did you do so well in those classes that you got A's in? What happened with the class you got an F in? Let's talk about, you know, what what you're what you're confident in, what your passion is, um, what your what your hobbies are outside of school. Let's have those conversations because that's probably something more that you're more passionate about. Is there a major here? Is there something here that you can transfer? that love for in your major? Yes? Um, I would argue that that's half of the conversation. And the other half should be, and how can you make a living at that? Because um, it, I think we do students a disservice when we say, do what you love, but then don't also tell them, you know, if you want to be an artist, that's awesome. But you've got to learn how an artist needs to market his or her work and, uh, and how they can get grants and like, you know, so well, that's when you talk about a minor in business. So you're an art major, but let's talk about perhaps um, what, what's your minor? Maybe, but maybe your minor? Uh, maybe education. Yeah, maybe, but can I? I'm going to push yeah. back, Elizabeth, because you know, I, if I had said to my 17-year-old artist slash punk rock musician, "Plan for your career," he would have gone on the road and I might never have seen him again. You know, a lot of the kids who 
I want to do what they love, to study what they love. He's a college graduate now, studying in the Stillman School of Business um, 15 years later. But if I had pushed that envelope and said, plan for your career. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, I'm saying do what you love, but also, um, in addition, I shouldn't say the word but. I, I don't want to say the word but, because that's a negative. I'd say do what you love and figure out how you're going to leverage what you love in a way that you will make a living. Not necessarily be rich, but make a living. Monetize. Yes. Monetize is the expression in, because we do live in a capitalistic society. That is an undeniable fact. I don't know. I, think I honestly, I think we've got a wall here. Yeah. We're not going to, because I see Tom agreeing with things. I don't know how, I, you know, I, I appreciate what you said and it's valuable. I personally just don't know how to do that and that's when I say, but let's get you over to the career side. Because I can only go as far as let's get them into classes that they love. If I could make a point just to move that a little further and I think to bridge the gap that is perceived in the room because I don't think that there is as much of a gap as, as we like to um, polarize so quickly these days. Okay. And so I, I would suggest that the, the expression is that they have gifts, they have skills that we celebrate. They often find it boring to sit in a class when they have such unusual gifts. It is not the subject that is boring them because I'm not interested. It's because I'm so gifted in this area, I can do this in my sleep. And to move them further would be to say, you know, you're getting an A in that course. And you're, you're dancing through it. You're not paying attention. You don't crack a book. It gets really interesting when you get to your junior, senior year in this track. And if you're not willing, you may have a gift that you you get to develop, not necessarily like um I hate uh, 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 finance. I hate finance. It's terrible. Well, you're getting A's. I understand. You might find it boring now, but that might come because it comes so easy to you. And whether it's art or philosophy or psychology or history or business court, uh, tracks. The question is how do we point out that they, that they should recognize their skills and have some ability to recognize that when they get an A in a course, just be, they may be bored. That might be because it's a skill. And to mind that, to focus on that, not just discard it. Yeah, I would also say, I'm so sad for you, it's great when you have those students who clearly have, they, so they recognize that particular talent and it's, it's matched up with their, with their coursework. I mean, I think some of the students I think are the hardest to reach are those who are undecided, and so sometimes you have to encourage them to try different things mm -hmm. out, you know, take, you know, take that sociology class, take that literature class, you know, something that would be outside of kind of some narrow prescribed field. You know, and I think sometimes, and I think sometimes too, even if they have a major, there are students who are sometimes really reluctant. And maybe this is my humanities background where we don't have a lot of prerequisites and students can have, like, you know, test the waters in different disciplines. 
But you have a student who, you know, then has an elective and it's like, oh, well, that course on the history of World War II sounds really interesting, but, oh, that's a 3,000 level history class. I've never taken a 3,000 level history class. You know, what if I ruin my GPA by taking that course? You know, that sometimes you just need to sort of like, if you're interested in the topic, take the course. You'll do well because you already have kind of an interest in it. Um, you know, and if they wanted to keep sort of students who didn't have a previous history course out of that class, they would put a prerequisite on it. You know. Yeah, if I might just, that is an excellent suggestion. The other is there is a, uh, a number of clubs on campus, and they should, I, I think we should encourage them Definitely. to cross the campus to the other house and check it out. <laughs> you might find that you like to hang with those people a lot more than the people you've been hanging with. So that, and that doesn't cost anything. That's time, focus, and some experimentation. They might have, they might enjoy it. Uh, you know, Elvin, you're, you're absolutely right because one of what we, what the lingo that we use is the pillars of retention. And one of the pillars is engage, student engagement. And we know that if we can get a student engaged in an activity, Absolutely. we've got a better chance of keeping them. And you know, I look down at, at Tom because you know, the comm area, which is my discipline, uh, we have really enticing activities for students to, to be involved in. And when we get them involved in the TV studio or WSOU or the Setonian, we've got a really good shot of getting them graduated because of the, the, the extracurricular activity that they're involved in. So, you know, while you're talking to your students about uh, study abroad and while you're talking to your students about um, uh, internships, the third component I would argue that will get them to be graduated, which is what our goal is, is th that engagement piece. Are they involved in anything activity? In any activity, and oftentimes, the, you know, this is, a, this is a, a problem for our commuter students. Um, the commuter students have a tendency to, and you see them, if you walk through the parking lot, you see them sitting in their car. You know, they go to their class, and then they go sit in their car. It's very convenient, it's like their own little mini room, you know, and, and they read and they take naps and, you know, if we can get them out of there. Yeah, well, I was a commuter. I, I treated 13th and 14th grade for the first two years of my residency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, actually, one of the things about our campus is that we have more uh, space now for them to leave their car and meet, but they're not necessarily branded, like the radio station, newspaper, uh, there's places in Stillman that are organized around topical areas like the trading room, et cetera, mm -hmm. where they can go and hang and find others. Mm -hmm. um, that's not been adopted uniformly or as pervasively as would make it easy for some schools to get the students out of their cars and hanging with each other, working on homework together or just hanging and talking. Uh, that, that socialization opportunity or to find others of your interest is something that they need to do, but we need to help provide a space to nurture that. Remodeling the community, the, the, the 
center might be a good start. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go back to something that Robin said. I think for me, the, the alarm bell goes off when I see somebody in a major who is getting terrible grades, is not doing as well. And I mean, that's, you know, you're getting, that's why I understand, you know, going to the A's and saying, you know, you're getting A's in your, in course, your history courses, your, your um, comm courses, graphic design, whatever. Um, I think there are a few things, right? If I, I mean, I was department chair for many years, been advising since I got here too, um, 23 years ago, and the, the terror of their parents, mm -hmm. um, the, the fear of letting their parents down. I mean, honestly, I understand what you're saying, Elizabeth, but I never worried about getting a job. Jobs are there. I knew I would be able to get a job. I knew I'd be able to work. My niece was a chemistry major. To this moment, so she, Tried pharmacy school, didn't actually couldn't get in. Tried, wasn't sure what she wanted to do with this chemistry major. Um, did well in chemistry. Yeah, right now she's working for an advertising company that has the Budweiser uh, contract. She's traveling all over the world. She loves it. My, her mother to this day still saying, "But what is she doing with that chemistry degree? Why did she do like well? Well, there's a formula. She got a liberal here. arts degree here. <laughs> you know, she got a liberal arts. She doesn't say it too loud around me. Because the issue there is we can't. Maybe it's hard to look at isolated cases. Right. You have to look at data in the whole. Right. And so that's important. I mean, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't highlight right. individual cases like this, because I think you should. Right. But I, I think it's really more important to actually, OK, what does the normative data tell us on these things? Right. That probably matters a touch more, although I don't think you should discount stories right. like that. Right. The, the issue that uh, Elizabeth's raised and the one I, I'll just share how I mm -hmm. sort of struggle with this sometimes. Because I'll have parents contact me that I meet at an open house or somewhere else, try to get me to talk their student out of a particular area. Because the kid is passionate about it, and mom and dad think, oh my god, they're never going to leave the house, they're never going to make any money, etc. And I'm not comfortable trying to talk somebody out of their dream. And, and so I will share that with the parents, and I will share that with the students. And sitting here with two finance people in Elvin and Tony, they spend so much time in their discipline talking about risk and how to balance risk. And so that, to me, is where the career piece is so important. Uh, OK, if you're going to do these things, what do you think your career options are and understand that? Mm -hmm. and, and some might say, well, maybe that's not so vital. And my argument for why it is is there might have been a time when that wasn't vital. Mm -hmm. But when we, and by we, I mean academia, not Seton Hall, started charging thirty dollars and $40,000 a year for our product, mm -hmm. then I think we have a responsibility at that point to be able to say, OK, what are your career entry points and what might your career look like. So I, I don't think you should discourage anybody away. And I didn't hear Elizabeth suggesting that either. I'm, not, no. I'm certainly not trying to say you are. Yeah. But I do think that element is is important. You can't charge somebody $120,000 to just kind of sort of broadly find themselves. Mm -hmm. you know, there has to be something a bit more targeted. No, but I think that's I, what I'm, I'm just saying it's yeah. not an either or thing. Right. It's a both thing. It's a both. Yeah, you yeah. study liberal arts, which is it's really important to know how to right. think and, and all that stuff is very important. Mm -hmm. But you also have to have a long-term picture. Mm -hmm. And it, if you don't want the kids to be living in their basement, mm -hmm. they need to not only think about being a history major, mm -hmm. and as well as how can I leverage those skills mm -hmm in the future to make a living that I'm going to be happy doing. Right. Well, this is why I think the career center That's is important and internships. Oh, I agree. We push them into internships in English. But I have to tell you, I hear this all the time, that parents are will go to the career center and talk to Risa about how can I talk my student out of being an English major? Mm -hmm. They're going to get a job. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you send them to me. 
And I will talk to them about what they're going to be able to do with their that lives. That is where the anecdotal very, story is, like the right. one you told. Right. Yeah, because the empire in terms of your options. Right. And the, uh, then they do so this is, and so yeah, well, we're, we're caught between that, these things too. So I'm just going to also say that as a Catholic institution, we can also in some ways think not just about careers, but kind of reclaim a language of vocation. So as you're talking about what the career opportunities are, it's also asking like, you know, what do you want out of life? You know, if you want to travel and see the world, then you find the career that enables you to do that. You know, why do you want to get into journalism? Is there something about, you know, I, I sort of, I feel because the need for truth and advocacy. Exactly. Just so you know. Yeah. But, I mean, but <laughs> Under much, I much maligned noble profession. <laughs> but I think we have to kind of like, you know, sort of get them thinking a little bit in those terms and not simply, I mean like, yeah, yeah, you want to know, I want somebody to hire me. But what kind of job do you want? What do you want out of life? And then the career is also helping to sort of, you know, sort of leverage your talents and, 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 and provide you with something that is going to be meaningful to you. You know, I'm mindful of our time. One of the things that, that I, I also want to remind you all is that, you know, given, especially given our situation this semester, having lost a student, um, one of the things that an advisor must do in the 20 minutes that you have sitting one-on-one -on -one with a student is to say to yourself, am I worried about this kid? You know, um, and if the answer is you are, then you look at the student's schedule for the semester and you go into your department and say to your colleague, you know, you see John in class every day, do you have any concerns about? And if this professor does, then, you know, you make a referral to our behavioral intervention team. You know, um, I... It's actually, you don't even need to verify. Well, but I your just... Your responsibility stops and begins and stops at the point that you have the queasy feeling in your stomach. Right. Yeah, you I just... Send them, you, you don't have to send them. Just have to make it make the the, the uh, behavioral center. the bit the bit team Karen, is very yeah Karen Van Norman and offer to assist the student in negotiating and navigating contact. I That's had a student. All you need to do. I had a student last week who somebody who I'm working with weekly. You know because in addition to advising, we could have a nice long conversation about coaching um, because we do that as well here, but. Um, I, I literally said, let's go. And I got up from my office and I walked him over to counseling. So I, 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 I just want to remind you, there's, you know, and, and just so you know, Seton Hall did nothing wrong in terms of this student. You know, um, it, it wasn't, I, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, if only we had, you know, uh, Miles' parents knew that they were dealing with a, a young man who had a very, very serious disease. And, um, uh, but, it, but it is a reminder that, that all of us have that responsibility to, to do that little evaluation. If a student says to you, for example, it, on, on even broader, uh, you know, I had an IEP when I was in high school, but I don't have it anymore. Well, then that should signal a, uh, an alarm in your head that perhaps they need that IEP and that they should, the students should go to disability support services. Individualized education plan. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. There's accommodations in, in a 504, there's, 
There's two types of accommodations in, in grammar school and high school, an IEP and a 504. And they're both individual, individualized courses of study that when a student has it, most often they need to continue it to be successful. Back in the day, those kids didn't go to college, but you know what, guess what, they do now. And um, I, we have seen more and more and more students who have these plans and are able to be successful college students. So, so when you hear that, then you need to get the student over to DSS. Um, also, we have um, CAPS, we have um, many resources for students who are struggling academically. You know, the uh, Academic Resource Center is on the second floor of um, A&S, and it, since our division took, o took it over six years ago, I think, um, we have expanded the scope of coverage, we do workshops, we provide extensive tutoring for our students for free. You know, um, students sometimes think they have to pay for that. It's, they don't have to pay. But sometimes they're reluctant because, you know, college students tend to be students who didn't ask for help in high school. And then all of a sudden that they discover that, you know, the math is really hard. Um, or, you know, the, the science is really much more complicated than an amoeba, you know. And so, in addition to... In addition to all the stuff that we're doing in that 20-minute session, you have to have like a little checklist in your head. Is this a kid who could benefit from DSS? Is this a kid who could use the ARC? You know, a, a simple question like, how you doing this semester? What's your hardest class? You know, I, I say that to every student. Every student I have a conversation with, how you doing this semester? What's your hardest class? Um, and when they say, oh, I'm struggling in chemistry, I say, I've walked over to the ARC yet? I mean, that's just conversation. It's, it's so easy. And yet, it's, it's, it's the advisor in all of us, you know? Students write a paper. Did you send it to the writing center? You know, some of these questions are just so darn simple. And students hadn't thought it. They don't think of these things until you kind of guide them. And that's what I think advising is, the guiding. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, too, that, that the provost had mentioned when we spoke was, also, and I realize you're right, that a lot of us are either doing advising, kind of studying professionally or whatever, doing it for a lot of people, but we can spread the word out to our colleagues. This is also stuff that can happen in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, for example, registration is about to begin. Most faculty, if you're not actually advising, have no idea <laughs> when registration is going on, that PIN numbers are being distributed. I mean, it, it's not a bad idea. Look at the academic calendar. <laughs> know when those things are happening. Know when airdrop is over. Know when you can withdraw from a class without an instructor signature. I mean, those are just good things for every faculty member to know. And you can just say in your class, um, have you guys figured out what classes you're going to take? Have you seen your advisors yet? You know, just that kind of thing. And as you said, you know, when somebody is struggling, I think we, I'd like to think we do reach out to that student or, um, and say, you know, maybe come and see me. I'd like to chat with you about something, whatever. Um, but it, it's this other stuff, too. Um, the kid who you write is, I don't know, falling asleep in the back of the room. I think sometimes we, if we reach out, we're getting into a different sort of area here. But I still think it can go back into, are you enjoying what you're doing here? Are you connected you know, to the community? You can feel you know, that disconnect of kids in your class. When you don't ever talk to anybody. They come, they go. Um, you know. When you just said, you know, um, like su surveying just the, in your whole class, mm -hmm. 
to me that is is so important because you know Robin and I are used to the freshmen and sophomores where we're really dealing with them but you guys are on the front line with the juniors and seniors and we assume that our juniors and seniors know everything they know the, the routine but you know what the the forgotten group are transfer students right you know you've got kids in there who have no idea what a pin number is because they showed up at the end and 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 Robin, you know, Hazel Patel in our transfer center had them, you know, walked through and, and they don't want to stand out now. And just sharing that kind of information in an upper level class is a reminder to our students, but such a big help to our transfer students who, who. Yeah, I only say this partly facetiously. There's a Nobel Prize waiting for somebody to actually solve the transfer problem. Yeah, I know. I agree. In terms of the amount of bumps that they have to go through. And I'll just take the examples that we see, like the inordinate amount of permits that we have to place on students' accounts because, well, this course isn't recognized in this, and this isn't recognized in that, or this didn't transfer over until after they registered for this. And all of the stuff that they go through, it's, you, know, you end up, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but not by a lot. I almost start feeling sorry for them because mm -hmm. of the, and they have so much additional to deal with mm -hmm. along the way. It's rather, you can see the frustration that builds. And they have to sort of go from office to office to mm -hmm. office for transfer for them. That's One right. thing, on the point of referrals, I would also say, well, it's important to refer students to, to the writing center and the career center and all these other things. I think one of the other big things for as an advisor, you have to know where to refer students when they have questions about their academic side of things. Mm -hmm. So to know like, oh, you have a holding account, go to the bursar's office. You have, you need approval. This class didn't count. You have to go speak with the chair of this department or the, like when do you go to a chair? When do you go to an associate dean? We have a lot of like little grand inquisitors throughout the college who would like each have to sign off on various things and that can be overwhelming for students and the frustration grows when they go from one office and back and forth because they're not seeing the proper well, even, person. It gets even better when they filled out the multi-part form three times mm -hmm. yeah. only to have it get lost mm -hmm. somewhere in the process. We're getting better with that though because we, we feel we electronic. Are. We, we are. are. We are. This is yeah. good. This is good. Yeah. Well, one bit of advice I give, sort of like I, I've made it a point as, as a department chair Regardless of the form, but when I meet, especially when I meet transfer students or when I sort of like waive a requirement, I always make sure that I follow up with an email, you know, regardless of what I, I told the student, that I send an email saying like, you know, I've agreed to count this course for your U.S. history survey, you know, please retain this email for your records, partly so that I have, I have a record of it in my outbox, um, you know, my sent mail. But also to kind of signal to the student, like, okay, now it's your responsibility. And should I not be chair the next year when somebody's doing your audit sheet or your advisor asks you a question and says, like, you have to take, you, you still haven't taken US history one. Now it's your job to pull out that email from the department chair or whoever the authority was saying, you know, no, they waived that. And then eventually the audit system will get, because students will, as helpful as checklists are and as helpful as like banner and all this stuff is, they freak out about their audit sheet. When something's not in the right box, you say, oh, no, no, like, yeah, you know, you know, you, know you, you took your core three, it's, it's right here, it's just not showing up under core three. They still will not believe you. They will still, Good. yeah. Good, they yeah. should believe you. No, I agree. I mean, the audit is not, that's Robin's, should we rely on the audit and banner? Shame on us. But, you know, the reality is, I, our, our audit 
is lousy. And, it's, and, and you'll hear garbage in, garbage out, it's not maintained well, blah, 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 blah. But the bottom line is, it's terrible. And, and you know, I, I really saw this when my son was a senior. And he was the only one with a pristine audit because his mother had <laughs> insisted that he fill out all the damn forms and get all the equivalencies and all of the proficiencies and all of this stuff. And so then he started sending all his friends in. You know, so I was like this, I was like this, you know, bring in four forms and we'll get it all taken care of. But, it, you know, shame on all of us. And, and so that was when we really started focusing on it in freshman studies. I was like, I've got a senior here who, because we didn't talk about the audit in freshman studies because it was always wrong. And, and when you're a freshman, you don't really have an audit. You know what I mean? And so it's like, but then they were getting farther along. You know, you've got to build culture. So we've started focusing on it and saying to them, this is your record. So when they come and harass you, I'm thrilled because they're doing, they are, they're doing what they should do. And we really should switch our audit that this is Tracy's little SWAT that I've, I, we have investigated, we have identified a better audit. Uh, the registrar doesn't want to do it. Uh, I have spoken with... Part of our own system too, listen. Yeah, I mean, it is the appropriate. I, I sat in on that presentation. Yes, what and, was and it do you remember? I'm, I'm not recalling now. I, I remember. Later. Yeah, um, degree, degree works. works. Degree works. Degree works. It That's is right. the it is the gold standard, and it helps you with prerequisites. It tells you. Oh, it, it had a lot of predictive capabilities. I remember. It, it predicts. Yeah. It has it yeah, has green lights. If it's green, the student oh, goes. Yeah. If it's red, the student doesn't. Right. It's very simple. But it, it has been a roadblock that I've just stopped fighting about. But, uh, you know, it, it is the, the proper thing for us to, to, to do, I believe. Um, and I've made it. Students love it as well. Yeah, right. I'll mean, so say two quick points. One, if you can manage it, what I've found is identify one person in the department who advises transfer students. Because there are often a lot of weird arrangements and agreements that get made. So as department chair, I would say to them, just come back to me. Don't even go to anybody else in the department. Because I've made these agreements with you, same thing. I would send them emails. Yeah, I would make them send me emails. I would say, keep this paperwork. And I would initial it with, we're going to let this count for this, and so on and so on. But if you have one person, I think that helps. And Tom made an excellent observation when I did meet with him to talk about this. Clear department handouts. I don't think students should, for your own programs, the majors, the minors, uh, that have really clear guidelines and ex explanations and so on, you know, things don't always get updated as regularly as we would like, and that makes a big difference. Um, you know, I know students will come to me, but we have major handouts, minor handouts. Use this. Don't use the catalog because the catalog may be lovely, but it's hard to use and they're Use this, and this will help you get, it lays out the major much more simply and elegantly than the catalog does in many cases. So those would be my last two, uh, you know, chair years points to make, and Tom's was the second one. I think it was smart. Yeah, got to be clean. Yeah. Well, I would we, just like to plug yes, the advisor toolkit if you haven't already oh, yes. look through it. So the advisor toolkit like has stuff. all this information in it Fabulous. at your fingertips. Okay. Um, it's fantastic, and the students have a version as well. So there's a, I left you the link. Okay. If you're at an advisor, you have it on your a chiclet mm -hmm. already. You just got to click on that. Detect a slight bias in the site towards ANS, which I would suggest. What do you mean? Why is that? In terms of, like, it's often written in terms of the advising around ANS issues. Mm. 
almost he has other issues. So nursing. So I just I found that the language seemed to be AMS centric. Can so you send us a couple examples yeah. so we understand? Yeah, we'll fix it. I can absolutely. And we'll fix it. And we will post materials from this if you guys don't object on the yeah. handout in particular. So thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.